to Flora and Friends, your botanical cup of tea, a podcast for plant lovers of any kind. We welcome guests to our botanical tea break to explore the history, science and meaning of plants for our lives. My name is Judith Lundbey-Felten. I'm a plant scientist, university researcher and founder of Flora L Design and I'm the hostess of your botanical cup of tea. Welcome back to another episode of Flora and Friends, your botanical cup of tea. And today we dedicate another episode to nasturtium. If you haven't heard the first episode yet where we discussed what Elizabeth Linné identified as a flickering nasturtium 250 years ago, then I invite you to listen to that one as well. But what about today? Well, today we are dedicating uh, the episode to more of the botany of nasturtium and we will start by looking into the names. You will find out why plant names can be sometimes confusing, why nasturtium makes your nose twist and what a nasturtium seed and seedling look like from the inside. And even today I have a wonderful guest. I am happy to Welcome Melissa to you. Melissa is sitting in Canada today. I'm connected to her here in Sweden. And Melissa is one of my partners in Florel Design and we also were postdocs in a research lab together before. And as Melissa has a background in botany, I thought she was the perfect person to discuss with. So hello Melissa. I hope uh, you're well. Do you have your cup of tea as well? I do not. <laughs> I boiled water and then walked away. <laughs> Well, that's also fair. <laughs> All about the enthusiasm about plants. Yes. yes. Let's talk about nasturtium. You have grown that in your garden, actually. Yes. I Last summer, for the very first time, I planted a vegetable garden in my backyard as a COVID hobby to do. And in reading things to plant in the yard, I read that nasturtiums were really good for attracting pollinators to the garden. Hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, I have some space here. I'm going to put this nasturtium in here and, and see kind of what it does. And it actually got out of control and really took over the whole center of the garden. So it was quite prolific in my garden last, last summer. You know what, actually, we, we're going to have an episode with, uh, with Mona and she told me the same. It got crazy in her greenhouse. So it was everywhere. So that's maybe also kind of a nature of nasturtium to be very easily grown and easily invade space. <laughs> yeah, but let's go a little bit into the names. That's what I promised in the last episode that we would uh, have a look at where the names come from. So... What about the English name? So the name nasturtium in English comes from Latin, which uh, nas is for nose and sturtium means twister. So the nasturtium name came from the idea that uh, the nasturtium produces an oil that's similar to watercress and it's got kind of a mustardy smell. So I guess it kind of makes people's nose, noses twist up in a way or, or maybe even wrinkle up in a way because the the smell is a bit off-putting for some people mm. and actually that's also the taste that's why we can use it in the 
in the food because it has kind of a, a strong taste. Uh, have mustardy. you eaten nasturtiums? I have had them in a restaurant and uh, that's also something that Mona is going to talk about how you can use it in the food because it's, it's actually very healthy. Mm. So um, some, some interesting things are going to come up there. But the interesting thing is that it has the same name as Nasturtium officinale, which is a completely different kind of plant. Yes, so, the Nasturtium officinale is the watercress plant which grows very differently and looks quite different from a nasturtium plant. It's more of a growing in wetlands, uh, small herbaceous plant that people also eat, I believe, in, as, like a, as a lettuce green, um, but it's not known for its flowers. It's known for its uh, leafy green. Hmm. So that means it's, we, we can't always go by these common names and see if they, uh, yeah, they, they, may be, they may be a bit different. But if we go to the Latin name, um, there, I mean, Nasturtium officinale, that's the Latin name for the watercress, whereas the Latin name for the Nasturtium, the garden Nasturtium, is Tropeolemaius, which is very different Yes, exactly. So the, the name nasturtium, what we think of as nasturtiums in the garden and call nasturtiums is not the Latin name for that plant. As you said, the, the Latin nasturtium is something totally different. And the nasturtium we grow in the garden is called Tropeolum magus. And the, the name for that has a really interesting source. It comes from the word tropeum or tropeum tropeon which is meaning a trophy pole um, and it was something that the vanquished foes armor and weapons would be hung on during um, in Roman times and the reason that name is for what we call the nasturtium is the way the leaves are the leaves have these kind of strong um, they're called pedioles but like the stem of the leaf attaches right to the center of this round leaf that looks like it's um, a shield being held up uh, to the sky. So it reminded, the leaves reminded Linnaeus, who did, who did the Latin naming for this plant, of shields, and its flowers were the blood-stained helmets. What a dramatic story for a plant. <laughs> it really gives quite a lot, like a really vivid description now when you look at the plant itself and kind of think of that connection. It gives it a different feel. Mm. And then if you think about the German name, which is like the Kapuziner Kresse, and that, that refers to the hood of a monk's habit, that's kind of a very much more peaceful name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. And I can see how that name would come, but that's looking more at the flowers rather than the, the structure of the leaf. Mm. So there are some mm. interesting um, botanical structures in the nasturtium plant. Exactly. And then the Indian cress, which is also a word, or it's also uh, called Indian krasse in uh, Swedish, which is basically the same, the, the, yeah, the Swedish translation of Indian cress. That originates from, uh, from basically because this plant comes from Southern America first. So that were, that were called the Indies. And that's kind of more referring to the, the original place where it was recovered from when it before it was imported into into europe 
So very interesting how, how the names are different in the languages and what they tell about the plant and also how people can have gotten to these Latin names in very <laughs> traumatic associations. <laughs> Absolutely. That was Linnaeus's imagination, I guess. Now that we have talked about the names, let's have a look a little bit more on the plant itself and start with the seed. Uh, and the seeds are very interesting. I put that under the microscope and you can see that on our website. We will have the, the pictures there in a, in a blog post associated to the podcast. And it looks like a brain. So <laughs> that was like when I, when I magnified it, it's like, oh, there's, there's, there's my brain laying under the microscope, I was thinking. <laughs> It very, it very much does look like a brain. It's got this really wrinkly, furrowed structure, kind of a bit curved also in the way that a brain mm -hmm. is. A little so bit very, like a walnut is as well mm -hmm. inside. Like Yes, very similar. And the both of those um, seed coats botanically are extremely hard. So um, nasturtium has a really hard seed coat and you'll see on a lot of gardening um, or floral like blogs they tell you to nick the seed before you plant it to kind of help break that seed coat to get better germination okay. from your nasturtium seeds so when I grew it I didn't have to do that I didn't know that tip until after the fact and they grew fine but um, some gardeners were saying a good tip is to kind of uh, cut that seed coat gently not too much that you injure the the plant embryo inside but just to help break mm. that hard seed coat I put it into water and that also helped that made it made it soft especially when I wanted to section through it in the lab I thought oh that's pretty hard so yeah. <laughs> we have tools for that but I thought if I put it in if I put it in water and I get it a little bit soft it's probably right. going to work better and it worked I, nicely. Yeah I imagine that's kind of a defense mechanism in a way for the seed to make sure that there's enough water around it in its environment before it starts putting energy into growing and, you know, venturing out of the seed, it needs to make sure it has enough water to fuel growth. Mm -hmm. Well, and then I, I grew it, it germinated uh, in the hypocotyls or the, well, the, the upper part that actually emerges from the seed that got super long and eventually uh, the whole plant died on my windowsill. <laughs> one of them, the other <laughs> one I harvested for <laughs> for doing a section um, but maybe can you tell us a little bit of what is inside a seed absolutely so a seed is containing kind of the future plant I guess we all kind of know that right but so inside a seed is what we call an embryo just like how we refer to human babies that are still you know developing in the womb are called embryos it's a similar structure in the seed that there's this um embryo that's ready to grow into has the capacity to eventually grow into a full plant um, but what it requires is if you think about how plants work they they start as the seed and eventually you know that they photosynthesize and produce their own sugars and fuel their growth that way but there's this moment in time I guess before that uh, embryo can really produce any energy on its own, it relies on energy sources within the seed to provide um, nutrients and energy to fuel that growth of the plant until it can photosynthesize. So that stage is ca called germination is when the um, root 
emerges and then early seedling growth is kind of the name for that stage before the seedling is um, self-sufficient in its energy production. So the seeds are really interesting because they, they contain the embryo but they also contain usually um, some sort of storage tissue that stores a lot of nutrients and energy in it to fuel the growth of the early seedling. And that's why for food sources, humans eat a lot of seeds or grains because those grains are so packed with nutrition that not only, you know, plants like to use it, but we like to kind of harvest that for our own uses and eat that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's uh, seeds are very, very nutritious uh, food and very, very compact as well. Yes. Yeah. Almost like food energy for, dense, <laughs> energy Absolutely. dense, like food yeah. for astronauts. So <laughs> <laughs> and I, I made a section or a few sections through that seed actually, and I, I stained them. Um, and we are now actually, I'm, I'm sharing here with Melissa the image as well. So, and you can see that image when you go to our website or you go to our Instagram profile, you will also be able to see it there. So can you describe a little bit what we see there in the seed? I think you just talked about this like very dense material. I think we also see here that it's very dense. Yes, so that's exactly what we're looking at in this image here. You see a lot of round cells that kind of have a blue um, edge around them with like a lot of contents inside. And so this tissue, what it's representing in this seed is called the endosperm which is the, that seed storage tissue that I was talking about that gets produced and is held within the seed to provide that energy source. So these endosperm cells, they're, they're very dense, they're tightly packed. If I had to guess, and this is just a guess, but they look kind of granular inside, it could be filled, fill, filled with starch grains as a food source, potentially for the growing embryo. So this tissue is just really... Um, tightly packed tissue full of lots of compounds um, to to give the growing plant a lot of energy. Mm. I could have stained it for starch, but I didn't. So <laughs> that would have been a way to find out. But it looks really like that. It's it's very dense. What is what did you stain dense? it with? Um, Toluidin blue uh -huh. I used. So that's more like um, other kind of component of cell wall and other polysaccharides, but not necessarily starch. So yes. Um, it's uh yeah i think it's going to make a really nice pattern it's a little bit the the dense material inside the cells looks a little bit shiny depending mm -hmm. on what kind of microscopy i use there um i i use both bright field and um polarized light as well so that got a little bit of nice effects so i think mm -hmm. we can make something nice from that i also took a section through the um seedling then so what happens when the plant then grows so there were two leaves that are not called leaves it's called the cotyledons. So these are the ones that are actually inside right. the seed already. Cotyledons are called seed leaves, so that is another word for it. So it's kind of the leaf-like structure, but it's within the seed itself. So it's not technically botanically a true leaf. It's a seed leaf or a cotyledon. Mm -hmm. And then when, they, when these have grown out, and you see often they look very different as compared to the first real leaves that are two different types of leaf, one that is preformed in the seed and the other one that forms after 
the seedling has grown the cotyledons and has and uses them, then it's dependent on itself because then it has a little root and then it has the cotyledon. So it can make some photosynthesis with that. And then it needs to make its own energy. Then the energy from the seed itself is uh, gotten, it's consumed. And then it got very long on this, in this like January months <laughs> of my windows. <laughs> so that is very typical if you grow plants in, in, in little light. Yes, light. there could be a whole podcast about etiolation and what that yeah. is and why it happens. That's good. I will take a note on that. We, we're going to do that. <laughs> but then I also took that section here through the... Um, hypocotyl which is basically the part underneath this uh, the cotyledons the first small um, seed leaves so maybe we can describe a little bit what we see here absolutely um, we can take it from the outside in I think yeah <laughs> so yeah if you look the the structure itself is kind of round on the edge so that's the outer edge of the hypocotyl and there's kind of a very organized um, row of cells. It's not quite completing the whole arc of the circle, but towards the top of the image, there's a row of cells that are very uniform and um, side by side, quite um, having the same size and being quite aligned. And that's called the epidermis. And you might know the word epidermis from humans, which means the skin, it's the outer layer of the skin. Well, the epidermis in plants is the outer cell layer of the plant tissue as well. And then internal to that, you start to see much larger round cells. Um, and there's there's maybe I'd say about five to six cell layers of that, but it's a bit more disorganized. It's just more like bubbles um, underneath that epidermal layer. And that's called uh, cortex tissue. And it's just often used for um, storage type processes. And then as you get closer in, there's these kind of darker clumps of cells. Some of the cells are really tiny and a couple of the cells are big and they look like they stained a little bit of a different color. And there's about four of these bundles, you could call them. So these are the vascular bundles. And what that is, is um, vascular bundles, just a, a plant type word for um, veins. So this is a cross section through four of the veins that are running in the hypocotyl kind of stem. And so you're seeing xylem cells that transport water. Um, those are the cells towards the inside of the bundles. They're um, sometimes a bit larger than the, the cells around them. And then um, opposite that is the phloem. So all those like really tiny cells um, that you can't quite make out in the really dark, that area is the phloem area of the vascular bundle. So this hypocotyl has many different veins in it that have been sectioned through and you can see the xylem towards the inside and the phloem towards the outside mm -hmm. and then in the very center of the the hypocotyl again we get these large round empty looking cells and that's called pith and those um also are kind of mainly believed to be used for storage or sometimes for just maintaining the structure of the in internal part of the stem but all of those tissues are, are generally found in, in most types of plant stems or hypocotyls that there's all these different types of tissues that have different functions in the plant. And they are found both in very young plants, like in that small seedling that I had. But if you would look in, in older plants, you would also be able to find them. And then in trees, it's a bit different. Right. <laughs> because there you have the wood. Um, 
but otherwise basically yeah in the trees the um xylem production just usually kind of takes over and crushes everything (laughs) everything (laughs) around it over time really so similar um it looks very different but kind of a similar similar tissue setup it's a, it's a bit like in humans, even if you take a small baby or an adult, they have all a heart, they have uh, like veins uh, right. that, that circle around the blood. Of course, that's a very different function, but uh, it's similar principle for the small plants. They also need to transport water and they need to transport sugar. So sugar is in the phloem and water in the xylem water from the root to the shoot and sugars Mm -hmm. from the shoot to the root. Um, And even though they are so small, I mean, even these small cotyledons, they need to make sure that there's enough sugars made so that the root can grow and needs to share it with the root and to continue growing above. It's fascinating how everything in that plant is so organized that even even with the tiny root and the tiny shoot, they get enough nutrients and make enough sugars to, to develop. And then eventually either die on my windowsill or take over <laughs> Melissa's garden. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. And, and it's really fascinating how, how the plant can kind of balance those resources for itself as it's growing. Like once it can become photosynthetic and sufficient that it starts channeling some of that excess energy to other parts of the plant in order to help, you know, the below ground parts develop that those are the parts that can't photosynthesize. Thank you very much. I think we have covered a great part now of this uh, of this plan, how it starts all from a seed into a little seedling and what that lick looks like inside. And of course, there's not just cells, but there's also things in the cells. And we talked a little bit about that in the beginning with the, um, with the oils that gives the taste. And in one of our future episodes, we are going to look a little more on the components that are inside the nasturtium and how they are important for nasturtium as a medical plant, as well as how you can use nasturtium in your kitchen. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you very much. If you have enjoyed this episode, and if you are curious to see the microscopy images that we have discussed in this podcast, I invite you to go to www.flora-l.com and find them there under the blog post. And I can also reveal that I have made a pattern of the microscopy image of the seed. So I will also put that there in the blog post and you will be able to discover how that pattern looks. I hope you join me here again next Wednesday for another episode of Flora and Friends, your botanical cup of tea. And with that, I say thank you, have a nice day and goodbye.